All right, everybody, welcome to The Rum Shop. I am your host, Joey Reeds, and this is a place where you can come by, we can have good talks while you're drinking your rum, while you're drinking your whiskey, whatever it is that you want to drink, whatever you're in the mood for, and whatever you're in the mood to smoke, as long as it's not any of that, you know, the H or the, the C or the that stuff, then we should all be good. But I'm joined by a very special guest, and that word is used quite often, but this is a truly special guest. Uh, he's my brother, Enver Harbins. He's got one of the killer crossovers from time. He's got one of the most on-point three-pointers, stop you in your place, shake you in your face, and then shot. I don't even know what I'm going to say. It's crazy. Introduce yourself. All right, all right. Thanks for that nice introduction. Happy to be here on the podcast with you this cold winter afternoon here in downtown Toronto, gentrified region. It was crazy coming down here, actually. Just see some little remnants of the Mandem, but for the most part, it's like just pretty safe. And that's different for me coming down <laughs> region. <laughs> Did you ever play any hood ball? You ever play any pickup ball in the good old region park? Pick up in Regent? Not really, man. You couldn't really come down these ways like that, bro. You had to like you know really just stay on your block and that's pretty much how we used to play basketball i used to hoop at hillcrest all the time that's all the co-op bands used to uh hoop up there and everybody from uh oakwood and we used to ball uh but regent no no it's nice that's that we risky have a nice business bro we have a nice little court set up out there we got some dangerous shooters we have some tournaments that go on um but when we, before we get into that, so tell me, where did you start with basketball? What was your earliest memories of basketball? Earliest memories of basketball was when we immigrated from Trinidad and my dad uh, pretty much built a basketball hoop for me in the driveway when we used to live down in Scarborough growing up. And uh, I just fell in love with basketball at that point. And it was just something to do, you know, every day in the driveway, shooting hoops uh, trying to get better and then even my pops just like putting me on like you know training drills how to put the basketball through your legs and you know just going down in the basement and just working on my handles and you know pretty much that's what kind of got me into basketball and then I brought it when we moved to downtown from Scarborough I used to start playing hoops in the neighborhood and everybody was like yo how does this man know how to put the basketball through his legs like 15 times on the scissor dribble that's Shout out weird <laughs> and <laughs> i was just started hooping like that and you know everybody that me and, my, uh, and the boys were like you know try to make our own basketball hoop because you know i, I remember having a basketball hoop to to play on and then from there you know it's just going hard yeah, I remember my earliest times playing basketball was with that damn Fisher-Price net that we had downstairs in the basement, and the net could collapse. So you had a plastic net, it had a basic backboard, but this Fisher-Price net had uh, adjustable height to it. So you can adjust it to, I think, about as much as like six or seven feet. But we had this net, and we had a blue rubber bouncy ball like those inflatable ones that you can like play at the beach with and this guy used to post me to the very bottom of the net where i'm looking up and he would always take a dunk on my head and break the net but the net could collapse back up so i had to get real 
real tactical about how I was going to beat, at that time, my biggest foe. So I started having to draw flagrant fouls. I started having to scratch the man. I had to bite him. I had to literally have wars down there in that paint in the basement with that Fisher-Price net. I already know, and that net became popular because we used to have people trying to come over to play against me on that net, and I was just like, it's literally home court. It's like in my basement. So if you're coming over, you're getting dunked on just like Joel. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That net, I, I tried had to do that. Three my popping, and I used to hit you with that Danny Range, oh, that, that, da- that Danny Ainge jumper, that kind of um, form that it's like the ball. You're holding the ball uh, on both sides, like on, on the front <laughs> and the back, and you're just like draining threes. Just yeah, that was that was awesome. That game sent me into into a frenzies of of anger and madness, but. Uh, that was early. So how old were you around that time? I think you were like maybe nine or ten. What was I? What were you at that time? Yeah, probably like ten. Yeah, you're just a little guy. You're probably like five or six. I was still in daycare. So I was trying and to survive always, in the basement. And just always trying to do what your older bro, your big bro, and his bros were doing, you know? So you're trying to fight with us. You're trying to wrestle <laughs> with us. You're trying to get me in the leg lock. You're trying to practice some <laughs> Ric Flair figure fours. <laughs> and it's just like I have the Boston Crab pop in. So this guy's yeah. favorite wrestler, for those of you who are who are from the 90s, uh, WCW, Scott Norton, the Powerbomb, N64. I'm trying to play the Rey Mysterio with the luchador mask on. He's got all these crazy colors. Scott Norton just comes out in a black leotard and he's going to put you through his legs. He's going to bring you up to the air and he's going to powerbomb you until you can't move anymore. And it's just the name of the game is not even the one, two, three count. It's just the paralyzed TKO. You're just done. WCW at that time is just used to keep running the same playback and you can just keep powerbombing the man until the (laughs) next session starts. Until the man couldn't move. That was also infuriating but um yeah so around that time that was popping off i saw Enver getting his getting his recognition through a through the community as a serious hooper did you model your game after anybody was were there some standout players at the time that you wanted to to emulate at that time probably grant hill i would think because grant hill was always lanky and lean and had a nice crossover good jump shot so i was trying to kind of be smooth like that like uh grant hill kind of player uh kind of guy who would play like sean livingston a little bit if i had to like kind of model my game because especially at that time you know a lot of the game is just a flashing to the basket a lot of like you know quick turnover have a nice jump shot uh you know be able to run transition so yeah i had to model my game i think at that time it was more of a kind of you know grant hill when i was younger then kind of growing up and getting the influence from steve nash trying to you know emulate that kind of even develop a basketball career similar to that you know whether it was like trying to get a scholarship or get recruited because i seen how uh nash was able to build his contacts and build his network in basketball and he didn't get any like major division one offers uh and most of his uh 
you know, game was really, uh, you know, getting into those uh, smaller schools because he went to Santa Clara, right? He didn't even go to like, you know, a big time D1 school, Duke or even Gonzaga or something like that. Uh, so I was trying to, you know, just be kind of low key about my game, but uh, at the same time, <coughs> just really put in the work and have like that kind of work ethic to just get better, you know, because I was playing at a time where there were like a lot of hoopsters, man, like a lot of ballers in Toronto, like a lot of guys coming up. Uh, and it was very competitive to even get on a high school squad in Toronto. Like, man, no one know that in the early 2000s, late 90s, bro, you're trying to get a spot on a Toronto high school ball team, varsity. That's that can be uh that can be pretty intense for sure trying yeah, to get so those you spots. really had to like train try to be one of the best in the city try to go to as many of the camps as you can get yourself into uh just try to get exposure you know and then even try to think about building a, a basketball career so even though i might have looked like my um college pro prospects in the states uh weren't too viable maybe even get a on a squad in a Canadian team, you know, like I went to Carlton, you know, I was even thinking maybe, you know, walk onto that squad because I know some of the guys that were playing on that squad and I was pretty much on their level and I could hoop with them. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I really want to take my study seriously. I didn't want to. I realized, you know, going down that that hoop dreams world is, you know, can definitely deflate on you and when hoop dreams deflate i mean the ball just goes anywhere <laughs> <laughs> ball ends up looking like it's in space jam just getting bitten yeah. up uh, uh tarzan's mouth mm -hmm. um all right so that's pretty cool you modeled yourself after after grand hill um so where does a basketball player start where would you say is the number one spot for anybody who's picking up a basketball for the first time. What is the essential skill or skills that they need to have to get started? Like in terms of basketball skills that you need to have or uh, personal skills or... Um, well, that's a great like, question. I would say both. I would say, what, yeah, what kind of personality makes for a good basketball player? Yeah. And what kind of, like, what, what do they show? Is yeah. it concentration? Number one is work ethic. I think the number one thing, and that's what I've always preached to younger basketball players or, you know, even when me and my friends look back on our experiences at basketball was our work ethic. Like we really wanted to put time in the gym, you know, like you're talking like three hours a day, six days a week <laughs> type of basketball, man. Like when you really commit yourself to the craft and, uh, wanting to get better and you know wanting to make a life out of the game uh, you really have to commit yourself uh, and you have to have that level of work ethic so you know it's putting time in terms of you know whether it's your jump shot or your handle like for me I always had a motto of 500 jump shots a day so I'll be putting up 500 jump shots. That takes about three hours to do. Jeez. So you'd have to commit yourself to uh, 500 jump shots. And after that, work one particular body part in the weight room. So That's the jump the shots could day? actually take you, yeah, in one day. So the jump shots could take you about two hours to put up 500. 
And then the weight room, it's about 45 to 60 minutes in the weight room. So and then you're working on and off days, upper body day one, lower body day two, triceps day three. It's a, you know. So now when you say 500 jump shots, are you accurately keeping count of the yeah. shots that are going in? Or these are no, just these saying are that? No, just putting up 500, but you should be shooting 90% with nobody guarding you, right? I mean, I remember you, and I used to hoop at the JCC, you already know. Spadina and Bathurst, is that Sp where it's at? Spadina and Bloor going hard <laughs> at the J. And this is before they even did the renovations. Like, this was the old gym, bro. Like, uh, I got myself a membership down there. And for some reason, nobody was ever at the J balling, like, you know, between four and six, four and seven. Like, the J was empty for some weird reason. And I would just, like, use that time to, you know, put up my put up put up my shots and yeah that's um you're counting them and you know i would i would remember you know some people uh, some of the older jewish women who would be on their track circuit because there was a track uh upstairs at the gym and they'll be like they came down they'd be like you know what i really have to congratulate you because i never see you miss a shot i'm just like yeah <laughs> like, that's, that's right you know <laughs> my jumper's wet Jeez, yeah, that's a new year already. You should be shooting with nobody, with no, with no defense, and just in the gym, like ninety percent. Nobody, because I do this sets is like of mid range. You're talking about uh, sets of twenty five. So twenty five elbow jumpers, twenty five backboard, twenty five three point shots, twenty five creative. So I would like mix up my routine that way, uh, and then, you know, you should be draining those shots like probably 25 in a row or 20 out of 25 shots then you always mix in your free throws and you should never miss a free throw so the free throws would be like 24 out of 25 free throws are going in so probably shooting 90 percent accuracy but 500 jump shots uh three to four days a week wow that's yeah. a that's a pretty committed schedule yeah. i mean i guess it's like that in anything that you want to do you have to aspire yeah. to have that that level of work ethic yeah. um so talk to me about your first memorable league that you played in what was the what was the oh, level of competition like man. what was the headset that you have what was just oh, talk to me about it any memories everything baba bait anybody's oh. <laughs> from toronto if you're a real toronto man downtown you would know about baba bait that was our first league we used to play there then we used to play at bigford center and those Wait, were was just, that team why we are here no that was high school that oh. was actually when i played at memo but uh, downtown was like, um, we used to play Baba Bait, and that was just like a house league, and like six teams, eight teams, and then by like kind of junior high, we played um, at Bigford Center, and that was a league of like probably eight to ten teams, and all the vans from uh, where Winona used to go th to that team, uh, all the vans from like McMurk, what um arlington and then man's from rosemount i remember used to be there uh downtown man's was just crazy like everybody used to converse and then they actually had like uh in the 90s actually there was a uh, obviously the big war and conflict in somalia at the time but you know enough somalians used to be coming uh to toronto at the time and then a lot of them used to end up in the baba bait league too so we used to play with these <laughs> these bands from like dixon and stuff they used to come down. 
Yo, those guys are crazy though. Like they'll try to start fights and stuff. After the game. <laughs> and, like the, I remember, yo, they used to rob the ch- yo the convenience store <laughs> at Christie Station, bro. I don't know how that man survived on a Saturday, bro. I'm telling you, like, pretty much like, like seventy youths after a rec league. Just going to your <laughs> store and stealing honey He's buns. He's just bracing himself to get yeah. all of his honey buns. Stealing honey buns, danishes, <laughs> and like uh, those cookies, those um, jelly cookies, bro. But yeah, that's a, that was our first league. We used to start playing down there. So what did you get from that league? Was it just just the taste of competition or just seeing what it was like to scrimmage? Like what? Were you, what would you take away from that league? Was it just setting you up for Actually, other leagues? I would, it would be like where the competition is. You know, it's like how to get better because they used to actually track your stats and everything. And they used to have an all-star team and it was just competitive from there. You know, you really would have to uh, focus in on your game, try to get better. You know, uh, you know, we used to squad up. So, you know, who had the best team going at the time? Uh, you know, what players were on that team and who had the highest points per game on the team on in the league. So it was just really competitive. So you really wanted to like step your game up uh, to meet the level of your friends and your competitors. Uh, but at that time, I didn't really learn about working on your game. You know, it was just like whatever natural talent you have, you just try to apply it in a house league. But as you get older, you start understanding that the only way you're going to get better is if you actually spend the time working on your game. So there's only so far natural talent can take you or natural abilities can take you. Uh, Eventually, you have to start to see areas of improvement and where you can get better. But that's what I really took from uh, House League. I just wanted to pause for a minute because I was smiling and laughing a little bit. But... uh one of the reasons why we're called the rum shop is one of the things that you usually do at a rum shop is while you're drinking, you have spicy foods. So, you know, to, to get ready in, in preparation for uh, the podcast, we had some yutung, which is a staple in the community. I mean, everybody knows about yutung. Chili chicken, it's one of the greatest things that you can have. Um, but we had some of that uh, to get ready for the pod. We were hanging out. And one of the things that I always do with me my brother and my sister is anytime somebody burps awkwardly we always have to shout it out and my brother while he was explaining that moment just had a little (laughs) i had to call him out on that one Uh, one. it's because all that fiery chicken (laughs) chicken you served up (laughs) i got him ready for this one but um so that's cool that's actually very interesting just level Mm -hmm. of competition seeing where you're at seeing how you how you level up against people who really at that point want the same thing that you do everybody's got that dream at that point that they're going to make it to the top and they have to show not only themselves they have to show the community and their family members and their friends that they're worthy of that time that they're worthy of that belief that they're going to make it well yeah and just you know just natural talent you know like kids in junior high are just you know just naturally good at stuff and really athletic so you know you just have to try to you know meet their athleticism and meet their talent but it gets just a just a higher level when you realize that, you know, if you take the time to actually work on your game and improve, you know, you can get better. And then you can see that from, you know, the some of the guys in junior high that didn't continue with the game or didn't try to improve their game in any way. Just, you know, by the time high school comes around or your senior year comes around, like they're not even playing basketball anymore. They're probably like working construction or something 
True. Um, so another thing that's also really important in, in basketball is having your crew. You always got to have somebody to play basketball with. I mean, you're not just going to shoot hoops by yourself forever. And I know you had a crew. You had your Hoop It Up crew. Uh, oh, yeah. Shout out to, to, shout out to Lux to and, shout and out Vic. Shane. Shane. Uh, Ragubeer was shout on that for, for a hot minute. Jeez, uh, yeah. how, does, how does that work out when you have other friends you're playing ball with? Do you guys have certain characteristics that oh, other yeah, players sure. don't have? Like, I know Lux always had crazy handles, just yeah. flashy like yeah. Iverson. Oh, yeah. Um, Shane just got abused by you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but uh, for me, it was just like, I was just, when we were playing three on three, it was like just surrounded by shooters because Lux is wet, Shane is wet, you know, I'm wet from three. So, you know, and pretty much it was like me and Lux can create a shot for ourselves and like get into the hoop or get into the paint get to the hoop and then kick and you already know if Shane's open if there's a double team coming that's wet that's two points guaranteed or you know if I'm making a move and getting into the paint I'm just kicking it out and there's just shooters on you know every corner and you know Cortell is just like knocked down and you know Shane he's not gonna you know he's not gonna try to drive the ball and get to the hoop but when he does once in a while, you're just like, all right, I'll take that. You know what I mean? I hear but that. for threes, it's – and then it's just chemistry because we play basketball with each other all the time. So we know exactly where everybody's going to be. We know when the screen is coming. We know when the screen and roll is coming. It's like playing with these guys from the time you're, you know, just starting to learn how to play basketball, 10 or 11, all the way up until you're like 18 years old, like <laughs> seasoned basketball. You know, it's – they're finished like i remember we used to go to even like uh elite training like elite uh oba uh that's like the provincial uh elite leagues and we would have like training sessions with these teams and if it was ever like a three-on-three competition or a three-on-three drill or something and me lux and shane teamed up it was like nobody was taking us off the court it was just draining shots nonstop, <laughs> just abuse for those players yeah. um one of my famous games to bring it back uh i had a good friend named craig uh r.i.p craig but me and him were probably like eight or ten uh, my brother was like 14 or 15 at the time and we always he never hooped we had a, a ball court in front of the house this guy never hooped at that ball court. If he was hooping at that ball court, it was a spectacle. It was something to be seen because he rarely hooped there. But this one day, it was probably in June or July, um, me and Craig, we're just shooting around and we're playing two ball and we're just pretending that we're, we're superstars shooting. No one's watching us. Uh, but I see my brother coming and he made a bet with us. He said, we're going to play you a game to three. It was me and Craig versus him. And he said, if you guys beat me, I'll buy you guys an ice cream from the ice cream truck. Everybody knows that magical ice cream truck that just you eat it and you just oh, shit yeah. yourself right away. But it's just so worth it to get that <laughs> diarrhea moldy ice cream oh. into your system. So we were about it. So we checked the ball. Ember's got the ball first and he's just wet. We just let him shoot the first one, goes in, doesn't even hit the rim. Just reliable shooter. Um, so we're like, all right, we gotta, we gotta D this guy up. We gotta hold him up. But he was, he was, he had body on him at that time too, though. So he gives us a quick shake, gets into the hoop, easy layup, 
where we think it's done. It's two nothing. So now we're like, all right, if we can somehow just just tighten up the D, we got this. We're, we're yelling at each other. We're psyching each other up. We need this ice cream. So now we give them the ball, but we pulled one of like the cheapest moves that you can pull where when somebody gives you the ball and they grab it, you try to slap it out of their hand really quickly. <laughs> so we pulled that on them. So now he passes me the ball. I get an easy shot. It's 2-1. So now he checks it back. I pass it to Craig. Uh, Craig passes it back to me, but Enver's just lanky. His arms, this guy's oh, yeah. like, he can reach, like, stretch Armstrong. It was, oh, it was yeah. ridiculous. So I think he's going to swap me, so I throw it back to Craig, and then Craig hits a shot from pretty far out. I'm going to say at least eight feet. 2-2. Two, two. So now we're amped. We're amped. And we said three dead. There's no win by two. It's dead. It's And at the same time, you can hear the ice cream truck passing by. So that, that typical you hear that sound and you just start your hair start raising. You're amped. You're, you're sweating under your armpits. So it's 2-2. Two, two, and we don't want the ice cream tomorrow. We want it today. So now he checks the ball. I pass it to Craig. And I don't know what this guy was thinking, but he literally just took the ball. He was facing behind Enver, and he throws it over his head. The rush of blood, I don't know what it was, but the ball went in off the backboard into the net, and the both of us celebrated like we were Michael <laughs> Jordan in 96. We, I, I remember that, yeah. We were so ecstatic. The ice cream truck came around. The diarrhea was worth it. The <laughs> stomach cramps that I got afterwards was worth it. The yelling I got from Junior and Joanne for <laughs> spilling stuff all over my shirt was worth it. But that's what basketball does to you. When you yeah. win something significant, it can make you feel like the tallest person in the room. What's your like first major trophy that you remember that you were like, you know what, this is it. That, th that was my ice cream. The first, like the biggest win I've ever had was probably when I uh, played my last year of high school ball at Memo, York Memo, in the uh, regional semifinal. Yeah, the semifinal. No, 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 it was the quarterfinal. Sorry, it was the quarterfinal. And uh, we were playing at Memo. And I remember, yo, the gym was rammed, bro. Everybody who knows Toronto back in early 2000s, you go to a game at Memo, and RIP <laughs> Memo right now because <laughs> the school burnt down. They're trying to rebuild it. They're trying to say it's going to cost like $50 million to rebuild the school. So <laughs> I don't know if they have it in the budget. But now where's way, people going to go to finish grade 10? You know, same way those Memo mans used to hoop hard, bro. And their gym was just heavy like it was hot in that gym i used to train in that gym too because i played on a citywide squad that used to train at, train at memo so i really knew those rims and i came to that game bro my girlfriend at the time was bothering me kicking my <laughs> shins my ankle before the game she's practicing to Muay Thai on your shins. i was just like man you know i know this game is gonna go bad today you know what i'm saying like she didn't even come to the game. I was just like, you know You're what? Stressing. Yo, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tear this game up right now. I get into the game, my three is just wet, bro. Just knocking down everything. If I'm open, I'm a problem. So by halftime, I probably already had like, you know, 11, 12 points, probably two or three three pointers, knocked down a couple of techs because things are getting wild at memo. Jeez. So had to get to the second half now and you know we're like 
know, because they're the favorites to win the the whole division, Toronto West, right? And we, you know, probably are in no position to beat Memo. And we're still out here actually balling really hard. Like Memo had probably at the time one of the top 20 provincial players uh, in the province, like heavily recruited guy. So, you know, I'm trying my best to lead the team. Jump shot is still fire in the second half. Ended up probably knocking down another couple of three-pointers. Um, you know, uh, just ended the game on a, on a high. Ended up with probably, I think, like 21 or 22 points in that game. Had my name in the Toronto Star the next day. Felt really good Fire. about that. Yeah. Man. So that was my biggest game ever. Probably in Toronto. I had other really good games like at tournaments in the States and at camps and stuff. But probably in Toronto, that was my best game. I remember uh, like 90% of your games in Toronto because I was the film guy. <laughs> I used to have to go around with this guy from Cambridge, London, Hamilton, Toronto, Owen Sound, you name it, this guy was playing in it. And he had his cameraman. I think I was like maybe 12 or 13 at this time. But sometimes you guys played pretty late. You guys were playing at like 9, 9.30. Yeah, no, those tournaments will go late. You guys did some late games. And I am tired as all hell. I'm trying to stay focused on the game. I got to watch through those little square uh, frames for the videos. And I remember I, there was this one game where he was just lighting it up. This guy was shooting threes. He was getting himself open. And I just, I shat the bed. Uh, I was just, just a wreck. I was so tired. I wanted to pass out. And lo and behold, we get to some of Enver's spots where he's supposed to be lighting up the threes. And the camera goes blank. Oh, it's just no, no video, no, no nothing, no sound. Maybe you just hear me snoring a little bit, and I was curled up in a ball with my head down. This guy was livid. Say, I was gonna send those those videos to the states, man. Get a big time D one scholarship off of those. You guys need to be more focused, man. Famous. And Dad times. was the worst though. Dad will always be talking <laughs> in the background. I'm like, his feedback is horrible. Sometimes my goodness, be commenting no on steady other hand. <laughs> just like. I see that fella miss about five shots already. Wide open, you know, wide open. Pass the ball, man. Oh, God. Look, look what? Look, look this fool going and get a technical foul now. Man. And they, they, they team and ready, man. They team and ready. They play playing like little boys. Junior. Oh, my goodness. This is my mom now. Stop talking and we don't like that. Well, you have to know. Someone have to tell him. <laughs> But those games were legendary. Those OBA games, those were mm. those were some crazy moments. And you guys got sponsored by uh, is it Jamal McGlore? Oh yeah, Roadrunners. Yeah, shout out to Jamal McGlore and his brother Carlon. Yeah, that's right. His bro used to play on the squad. So uh, Jamal McGlore sponsored our team. We all had at the time it was Scarborough Roadrunners. Yeah, and uh, we all had our jerseys uh, provided by. Mr. McGlore, so thank you for that. Yeah, those are sick jerseys. I remember you guys yeah. had home, away, and warm-up because you guys were showing yeah. up to their fly. There were some players on that OBA squad. They show up in a T-shirt that had, like, highlighted letters up there <laughs> yeah. for their names and highlighted numbers on the back of the jerseys. Yeah. But they are hooping, though. Depending Don't get on the twisted. squad. Depending on the squad. But everybody should have had a proper uniform, especially if you're playing rep ball. You know? True. Everybody knows in Ontario if you're playing rep ball, you know, you're one step 
closer to you know the provincial squad or the national team and then you're just one step closer to you know a good college program or perhaps even a professional contract you never know you just keep it up you know that's true so now at this point uh did you let those influences from other people saying wow there's Denver he's he's a nasty shooter were you really starting to take to that or were you saying to yourself I got to maybe explore other options in my game do I have to improve other options in my game or were you going to be settled with knowing that you were that guy that that three point technical uh, get open and yeah, bang him down that's, guy that's that that's that's what it was i mean when coming up in high school you had no idea that you know about post game like i didn't understand what a post move was or i mean i kind of got it but playing at that level you're just really trying to be that knockdown shooter and then i went to i had a lot of influences like uh kind of like midwest united states so i went to tournaments in uh kentucky and michigan and camps and stuff and uh i really saw how these guys uh you know really got to where they were with like technical shooting so i was really big on my form and my jump shot and just really trying to uh you know pursue that and you know be just a, a just a knockdown shooter and then it wasn't until later on playing basketball pickup or you know at university intramurals and stuff and getting more weight on me that i realized how important a post game is so as i you know my mid 20s you know playing in some of the men's leagues in toronto uh really seeing the value of you know having good size and weight and being able to use that but it's hard to have that knowledge in high school i don't you seldom see uh high school players uh it's really in college that they start developing a solid post game but if you can get that early on if you can even start thinking about post moves and posting up and that kind of footwork in high school uh you'll be definitely ahead of the game but yeah I was more of a knockdown shooter type of guy and how did you come around to being that type of player i guess it kind of suited you as you mentioned some of the players that you watched and things that you wanted to work on and what came naturally to you um but how is it that that's a very highly skilled level to play you look at guys like ray allen uh mm -hmm. you look at guys like reggie miller yep. uh you know masters at getting themselves open and understanding the court and being in the right place at the right time mm -hmm. where somebody's not shifting towards you uh what does that take what kind of what did you work on or how did you develop that high level of intensity for that position a lot of that is footwork it's footwork it's drills it's uh learning like positional basketball how to come off of a screen properly how to position your body uh you know where your foot should be planted a lot of that is really technical insider kind of basketball knowledge so uh moving did a mod rashad inside stuff help you get that what's that did a mod rashad's inside stuff help you get that sometimes sometimes but you know just watching the game like how some of these guys move off the ball like reggie was really good at moving off the ball uh ray is the same way you know, and like uh, Rip Hamilton actually was one of the big guys for me in terms of how to learn how to move off the ball and how to use screens. 
because uh, you can create a lot of separation just hiding behind screens. Dirk Nowitzki was actually a lot like that too. And even for a guy who's seven feet tall and doesn't really need to hide himself from other players, was really good at being like the biggest on the court, but being able to create so much separation. And by the time you have that kind of separation at seven feet tall with an extension like Dirk Nowitzki, I mean, it's like a layup for him at that point with his form and technique. But a lot of these guys very skilled at that and that's you know really where i got a lot of the inspiration uh looking at how these guys move without the ball come off of screens there's just so many ways you can get yourself open and get yourself a clean shot and that you know provides that level of separation between just ordinary players and like elite players especially in the high school varsity level if you can get an open shot and then knock down an open shot, that's good. But when you get to the pro level, it's you seldom get any open shots. So you have to not only be able to move well without the ball, but still knowing that you're going to get a good contest on a shot either way. But in your high school varsity amateur basketball, you should be able to get yourself open. And then the key is to knock down open shots. Uh, and that's when that repetition muscle memory really kicks in you know 500 jump shots a day type of thing uh you know you shouldn't be missing open shots and i think that kind of was one of my downfalls at the same time in terms of um where i went with my game is that i was really hard on myself in terms of if i didn't uh execute properly or if i missed too many open shots or if i miss shots like i'll really get down on myself and get in my head and you know my coaches would tell me about that and how to improve on that but that's a tough one you know you know sports it comes down pretty much at the end of it it's it's in your head you know it's a game that's played inside of your head because all these guys are elite you know everybody has put in enough time have had so much coaching uh, have all the experience it just comes down to uh you know how do you execute that in terms of how you visualize the game and how you get into the game. And that's really where uh, I think Kobe kind of changed the game in terms of everybody talks about his Mamba mentality. It's more of like a commercialized um, obsession now more than it is a real, in terms of I, th I feel like the way Kobe would have expressed it in terms of you know just being really focused, being at one in the game, being totally present in the game. Uh, because everything, everybody has, has so much skill level. Like if you're in the NBA, everybody's got high, high IQ, high skill level, great muscle memory, totally like 95th percentile genetics or athletic human beings uh, in the planet. Uh, so it's just at that point, locking into that mentality. And, you know, that's what really put kobe over the edge on a lot of the other players he kind of coined the phrase mamba mentality but he got a lot of that from jordan too you know jordan was kind of that guy locked into a game um but yeah true that uh you also mentioned something very interesting uh with the coaches now everybody knows in basketball that your coach will design a play uh they'll organize starting lineups they really take on a mentorship role in terms of trying to get you uh, to that level of playing well and reaching your maximum potential. 
Um, what's your opinion on coaches? Like, are they are they all those things? Is that kind of overglorified, or are they like boxing coaches where you know they help you in training sessions, but when you're in the fight, they everybody says you know it's that fighter and another fighter. Uh, but sometimes you'll see the coach talking to them, and I've always wondered. Is that something that that really that you take into games with you when a coach is talking to you, when a coach is bringing up something in that moment, or do, does your adrenaline take over and you kind of rely on what you've been training on to bring that into the court? For me, it depends on the sport that you're playing. Are you playing a team sport or an individual sport? For a team sport, coaching is important, but in my experience, the most important part of coaching is managing egos of players because a coach that only wants to see the best in one player or two players and really wants to you know highlight them and praise them and you know the sun shines out of their ass kind of <laughs> mentality with some coaches and all the favoritism involved you know that has been the downfall of uh, Toronto basketball in my era I felt like I felt like there was just way too much politics in terms of the coaching. And I saw the difference when, you know, I went to the States because you can actually see what good quality coaching is like. You know, you would have coaches who have their son on the team, but they're not just trying to highlight the strengths of their son. You know, they're trying to highlight the strengths of every player on the team and who they've been brought there to coach and bring out the best in them. You know, the coaches in my area era, and even though, you know, I had some coaches that they might have had their son on the team, but, you know, they still want to bring out the best in everybody and give everybody an opportunity to shine. And that's not to say that, you know, if you don't deserve it, because I think sports really is a meritocracy in that, you know, the, the best, you know, is really, you know, um, you know, the cream really rises to the top at, at that point. Uh, and it should be that way. But, you know, you should be able to identify the strengths of your team and the players in your team and, and try your best to, to play to those strengths and, you know, highlight the best in them. And I just feel like there were times in my high school career in Toronto where I don't think I've ever got a play run for me. Like, I don't think anybody, I think my coach ever <laughs> drawed up a play to get me open or to you know, highlight, you know, and it's just like, how does this happen? And then, you know, and again, I see it in, in other aspects of, you know, my travels and playing in other, you know, other areas. And you can see how, you know, they play to the strengths of their team and they draw plays for different people depending on the scenario. But I feel in, in organized sports, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to be like that. You have to be inclusive. Yeah, for sure. And I think coaches definitely need to recognize that as well. Um, I think it's also very interesting that, you know, despite having the opportunities um, that were not given to you, uh, that were given to other players, you still were able to have that passion to get to the gym, to shoot those 500 shots, to play ball as often as you could. Um, yeah. Where were some of your crushing defeats? What were some moments where you just remembered, oh, man, am I going to... Am I going to not live up to this to this for the next couple of days? It's going to be on my mind. Just a terrible, crushing loss that you've taken. It was funny because I feel like one of the worst L's I took 
is when I never made the Albin's Ball Squad. <laughs> I knew that was because of biased coaching. That was like a, a rec league that we had. And when I didn't make that squad, I was just like, yo, coaching is biased. But at the same time, I got to get better. You know what I mean? I have to, you know, I have to bring up a step up my game. I have to take time to improve my game. And, you know, for me, it was like the, those hardest L's were the, the ones where you um, – you know, especially being competitive and trying to get on the best teams and stuff, it's when you didn't make the cut. You know, I felt like that was the hard one. And again, like Toronto Ball was so, you know, politically motivated where, you know, people's, you know, family and fraternal and brothers and stuff would be getting on teams. And, <laughs> you know, people would just like openly just <laughs> tell you like, the pants aren't getting that run today you're not getting run or <laughs> you know like you know give you the old michael jordan uh pep talk that like you know michael jordan uh never made his junior squad oh, and you're geez. just like you know maybe that's you and you're just like oh come on man oh that's the that's gotta be a damn crushing feeling i remember yeah. my little point of basketball uh for everybody who's listening uh i'm more of a footy player you know goalkeeper's my thing um but, you know, I like to play hoops. It was one of the things that you had to do in the community. It was like almost a prerequisite to hang out with anybody, with any of your friends. You had to be able to play hoops. Um, but I let that get to my head. And there was a period of time where I went to the school called St. Raymond's. It was a Catholic school. Uh, great teacher. Shout out to Mr. Finley. Um, but I was on the team. And, you know, I'm not nearly as good as, as my brother, obviously. But uh, I was still solid enough that I was able to uh, shoot some balls in, get some get some good buckets, you know, cross over a few guys. And there was this one point where um, I was probably I think I was in grade seven at the time, and I was just icing guys. I was just doing so well. Um, we made it through to the second rounds, I believe, like the semifinals. And I just got rinsed by this one amazing player. I was playing point guard at the time. And this guy was just crossing me over at will, shooting a jump shot straight in my face while telling me he's going to shoot a jump shot. You know how embarrassing that is? Do you know the feeling of just anger, shame, just anything you could think of? Because you've got this one amazing player in front of you that you just can't handle. You can do anything that that you can try doing. You can try cutting off his feet. You can try biting his arm. You can try pulling his shirt. Whatever you're going to do, he's going to get around you. He's going to shoot. And you know his shot's going to go in. I think one of the worst things in basketball is when you just know a guy's on and it's his night. And no matter what you're trying to do to stop it, you just can't stop it. It can't be stopped. It can't keep it contained. This guy is just going to do whatever he can to make sure that he is going to let you know that I have this court. I have you, and I'm in your head. And when I shoot, you know the ball's going to go in. And if you try to just stop it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Uh, but that's the beauty of basketball, too, though. It's that when you have that competitive nature that you just want to outshine somebody. Um, what about you? Did you have that, those moments where a guy was guarding you and you just knew that you were in his head and you could see it in his face that if you put up a jump shot, it was going to be wet. If you got a layup, you're going to get an and one. If you just 
any crossover you did, any reach for that ball, you were going to just eat them for, for breakfast, eat that salsa for breakfast. Oh, did you have yeah, those moments? Man. Yeah, I think a lot of those are in camp, though. You know, when you're playing like four or five games a day and it's like, you know, just hyper competitive, like heavily competitive. And, you know, I just remember I had the, this youth named Osama bin Laden. He was guarding me. <laughs> this was after <laughs> post 9-11. And uh, I just like crossed them up so badly i just blew out the twin towers of his legs just <laughs> dropped osama bin laden right there man but yeah some of those times you know you just you just start feeling real good you're you know moving real smooth you're streaky and you know everything's dropping man i think those are just some of the most precious moments of basketball i mean likewise on the reverse side playing good defense is pretty crazy too you know when it's just fourth quarter down to the wire and you've been put on to guard this guy and you've just been tight. You have his number defensively where he can't get around to do a layup. He's got to pass the ball all the time. He's super frustrated. He just jacks up a shot because he just wishes something's going to go to break that streak. Defense wasn't really my thing in hoops. That's (laughs) probably why I never had a professional career. But uh, no, I, I was never that competitive on defense. I was always just trying to get up the next shot (laughs) pretty much (laughs) defense was not one of your one of your strongholds um so now that we're going on so now uh you're like the peak of your career was high school right that's when you were you were getting those those notices and people were were raving about you um did shoes it's gotta be the shoes did shoes play a role in your basketball career or is all that hype no i i think you know you try to be flashy with certain shoes depends on the style you know you you know i used to really like having um you know some nikes some of the 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 earlier flight models and the gary paytons i used to really like back in those days the glove yeah um but i feel like for just you know straight up balling straight up hooping those had to be adidas pro models those are my shoes man yeah those like, were like those blue shell toe looking timberland yeah. big space boots looking yeah, three striped shoes still got those out on the market man they're just like they're just so comfy it was just like your foot is in a cloud you know you just put your foot in those and it's like the cadillac of ball shoes Unlike the fake Jordan 13s that you bought to hoop in that one year at Oakwood. <laughs> With the jump man falling off on the pin. I was like, what is this? <laughs> I was like, why is this jump man pinned onto the shoe? I don't understand. Thinking that these are real shoes, real oh, J's. Man. I got duped. Shout out to the men's at Albans who used to run those scams. <laughs> I was feeling fresh. I bought my first pair of Jordan 11s. I saw my sister wearing them, oddly enough. She used to rock. Uh, basketball shoes <coughs> and those were my favorite shoes those shoes I thought were so fly so the notorious Albans uh, for the men who know what's up you know that that's one of the spots where you will truly find prison rules apply they have like a double ringed hoop that just didn't move the hoop had no backboard spring so you had to dead shoot that ball in that big bucket that they had up there 
Um, they had like these crickety stands, the wooden stands that people would like come through to jump up on. When you were scoring, when you were on a hot streak, they were banging that thing. You just hear bang, 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 <laughs> bang when you were yeah, lighting yeah, up yeah. the dudes. They had the control booth. It was like a DJ booth where all the tunes were oh, running. Oh, damn. Yeah. It was insane. It was insanity. But also, they had shifty dudes who would sell you fake Air Jordans. And I think I probably bought about like four or five of them, just all <laughs> fake J's. <laughs> I got to the point where I was ordering shoes from the guy and I wasn't even paying him anymore. But I used to get mine from um, St. Jacob's Market. Shout outs, Kitchener Waterloo. Jeez. St. Jacob's Market, the $90 knockoff J's. Oh, shout out. I was paying like 120 for my knockoffs, man. I was, yeah. I was getting duped back real, in though. high school. Yeah, but real? but but real. I mean, the legit kids knew what was up, though. They they could take one look at my jays. Your feet knew what was up. <laughs> <laughs> Balling those, a hundred percent. Like all the leather, leather just goes like white, <laughs> literally. And like after two games, cheese. And then like rubber just turns like hard gum, like. <laughs> You literally look like you've been walking on cement. You look like yeah. you look like Forrest Gump after he comes out of the the wild. Your feet are just corned up to the max, oh. and you're trying to hoop in these in these fake J's and fake shoes. And but that's surprising. It's it's reassuring to hear that that you know it's got to be the shoes that they do play a part in in a hooper's career and development. Um, did you pay any close attention to the anatomy of your foot? Did you figure like if I have longer feet? I can like sprint more or maybe I can be more dynamic. Yeah, or I was always flat footed. That was my problem. It's that, you know, I never had a arch in my foot. My dad used to look at my feet like, like there's got to be a reason why you can't jump high. And <laughs> I was like <laughs> looking at my foot. It's like, oh, it's because I'm flat footed. I'm like, you know, uh, these dolphin feet or these flipper feet. <laughs> and it's just... Uh, so I was uh, so I had to compensate in other ways in terms of like footwork and stuff like that because I wasn't the fastest player on the court, but you know I would try to use you know proper footwork endurance to kind of uh, build up in my length. You know, I'm pretty uh, you know lanky extremities, and so I used to try to use that to my advantage. But um, oh man, I remember. Um, talk about using things to your advantage. My brief time playing basketball, I probably had no advantages once I really got into, like the highest level I went to was OBA, a tryout. I didn't even play on the team. <laughs> but um, I can remember, I was a big guy, you know, I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty chubby, I carry my weight. Um, but I can remember the coaches getting mad anytime I came like second or third last in those sprints. Oh. Whenever you had to do those suicide sprints, if yeah. I came third last, the coach used to get mad and ask the team, why is the big man coming third last? He should be coming last. And I was looking around. I was like, oh, coach, like, relax. I, I paid 100 bucks for this, <laughs> for this tryout. At least you can gas me a little bit. Yeah. He just wasn't having it, though. Um, yeah. But I also have a little bit of that, that flat-footed thing happening, though. Um, yeah. But so now, like, what's your what's your evolution of of basketball? So now you went from, as you mentioned, you know, being the on floor shooter, uh, spreading the court. Then you you had to learn about the the post 
like backing up in the post. Um, what's your take on the business of basketball? Because you also mentioned that you modeled yourself after Steve Nash uh, in the business sense of how he approached basketball and getting those opportunities. Um, can you give any advice on how a player should go about and not only just thinking about basketball as a sport, but basketball as a career? What are the things that they really need to look after? Uh, basketball as a career. I have don't really know about basketball as a career because I never made a career out of it. But I can imagine you just want to keep your options open and, you know, see where you can play professionally. I mean, playing in the NBA is, you know, akin to winning the lottery. It's like one in a million chance that you'll, first of all, be that big, be that strong, be that quick, be that good. Uh, in the game to make it to that professional level where people are play, uh, paying you millions of dollars. But there are so many different other aspects of the game. And, you know, shout outs to some of the people I went to high school with, you know, like um, Jama, for example, is uh, assistant coach at uh, Golden State Warriors, who's with the Raptors for the longest time. Um, shout outs to some other people I used to play with back in uh, my days who, you know, are either, you know, coaching still or, you know, even coaching at the professional level or involved in the game one way or another, training uh, folks or, you know, even involved in the business side of the game. You know, you look at some of the ways uh, former basketball players, Masai Ujiri is an example of a former ball player you know, who turned NBA executive, right? So just having an eye for the game, uh, you know, kind of developing those different business opportunities, uh, you know, taking your, you know, risk and your chances. Eric Spolstra, good example of another guy who, you know, just loves the game, love being around the game, uh, works his way up from being in the film room uh, all the way to, um, you know, is one of the greatest coaches ever in basketball, you know. So there's lots of different ways you can, uh, you know, use the uh, skills of basketball or use the mentality established in basketball in terms of the work ethic, in terms of uh, the commitment and the dedication to something, in terms of the stats, analytics, the data part of basketball that can be applied to the game. So there are many different uh, opportunities. And even though I, you know, I'm not involved in the basketball universe uh, in terms of, you know, the work that I do today and my profession today, I still take a lot of that kind of, you know, work ethic with me, that kind of, um, you know, eagle eye kind of approach that you know you have to commit yourself you have to commit yourself to get better to want to do better and you know that can always pay off in life what i think that's true we've been kicking it for a little while now but uh i'll ask you one more thing um i know you're still playing basketball we played a one-on-one -on -one game uh that i used some of that little material for for uh for the Instagram clip to show people that you still have that killer jump shot, you still have mm -hmm. that crazy step over. Uh, are you still playing? And if you are still playing, um, do you ever use that knowledge that you have of the game to just completely and utterly trash your opponents? Because you did with me. So I'm just wondering if you do oh, that yeah. with other people. I mean, I you played the first game 7-2. 
played the second game. I think I won 7-4, and then we played the rest of the games, and it was just like, <laughs> you just switched. You just took an unfair turn. And yeah. uh, I guess I probably do know the answer that you do, you know, apply what you what you know. But um, does that ever motivate you to get back into it and just, you know, you want to go like three to four oh, days? Yeah. You still, still get that itch? I always still play with the kids in the neighborhood and, you know, I have my little son coming up now. I try to get a basketball in his hand and I always try to get my daughter to shoot hoops with me and, you know, just continue uh, staying fit, staying active. I think basketball is really good for a workout. Um, right now, after that game, my legs are numb right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I, my hamstring <laughs> is pulled probably. So it's it's good to you know stay fit, stay active, keep the muscle memory going, get the sweat going, and I still enjoy playing basketball with the kids, you know, in the neighborhood. And it's mostly street ball right now because, um, you know, with all the restrictions and everything, it's been tough getting into some indoor hoops. But um, yeah, I still enjoy the game. All right, that's great. Uh, well, that's going to wrap it up for us here at the Rum Shop. I hope you guys enjoyed this session. I know it was very informative for myself, even though he is my brother and I did record probably 85% of his games. Uh, I never really got to talk to him about his game. He was uh, always really busy. Uh, of course, I was younger, so he was also like this. Look, you, we only had time to wrestle. Shout out to the WCW. Shout out to the WWE. Shout out to the ankle lock. When I figured out that move, that's when the wrestling stopped. It became a bit less when I was able to roll underneath oh, his leg, yeah. hook that ankle lock, and not let go for a dear life. Then he would switch in music me to make my nose bleed. Uh, all of those great memories that I had, but I always wanted to pick his brain about basketball and about what he thinks about basketball and how it has impacted his life. So I'm glad we got that time to do that. Uh, no stick around for the next episodes. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fantastic. I've had a great time with you guys. I hope you guys are tipsy. I hope if you are tipsy, seat you're not driving um and just enjoy have a great time wherever you are whatever you're drinking this is joey reeds with enver harpins and we're signing out from the rum shop peace